0: Welcome to the three martini lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three martinis coming up. So glad you're with us for the Tuesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. Jim Garrity is back today. Jim was out in California at the uh, Coke meeting. We'll be hearing about that uh, at at some point soon, I'm sure. Jim, uh, I assume you didn't um, bleach blonde your hair out there, but based on your Twitter feed from yesterday, if you had, you would have pulled it out anyway. Uh, interesting, uh, Interesting times coming home yesterday with a little bit of weather and some impatient passengers, it sounded like.
1: It's out in uh, uh, Indian Wells, California. It's near Palm Springs. There are no direct flights, so uh, usually I end up doing some sort of connection in Dallas or Houston or something. but you know, yes, this this trip, the easiest flight was to fly out to San Francisco and then on to Palm Springs. And of course, you know, I'll skip all the San Francisco jokes. Uh, I'll just say, Greg, that you know, with the coronavirus coming through, uh, and spreading everywhere. This is a wonderful time to be flying through San Francisco. <laughs> right. uh, it seemed like every third person in the airport was wearing some sort of uh, mask. Didn't make me paranoid by any stretch of the imagination. Anyway, conference is terrific. You could read uh, all about it at National Review. Uh, but on the way back, I'm flying back through Palm Springs. And, you know, look, it's you're flying back through San Francisco. You're going to have delays. Greg, they had fog in San Francisco. That tends to happen. Shocker. Uh, Mark Twain had famously said, the coldest winter he had ever survived was a summer in San Francisco. Um, so they, there's a half hour delay for weather. I've got a fairly tight, uh, you know, transition to the next flight. But like, OK, so I go up to the counter and the woman in front of me, well, I guess I should ask you, Greg, and, and listeners, are you familiar with the term
0: a Karen? <laughs> yes. You might want to define it, though, just in case.
1: Sure. So for all of our listeners, by the way, if your name happens to be Karen or you're married to a Karen or your sister, you know, it's really unfortunate. For all women named Karen, that this has become the slang term for this kind of woman. I'd say picture someone that looks either across between Elizabeth Warren or Amy Klobuchar, uh, and who is a, a bit of a maybe a little bit of a busybody, and who is very unsatisfied with her customer service, and she would like to see a manager right now. And you see someone berating the staff and being very difficult. The Karen's have a very particular way that they're used to being treated. And by golly, when they're not being treated the way they expect, they're going to make a huge issue out of it, maybe even a federal case. The woman in front of me apparently has some sort of travel plans where she's worried about not making her flight. And of course, that happens, that normal. But she really seems to think the woman behind the counter is responsible for the delay. And if she just yells at her enough, there will be some sort of, you know, that somehow this will manage to rectify itself. And the point, you know, the the poor woman behind the counter keeps saying, ma'am, I'm sorry that the flight is delayed coming in because of fog in San Francisco. We're doing everything we can to make sure you make your connection or can get on to some sort of alternative flight. She's like, you don't understand. I have 350,000 frequent flyer miles. Greg, I'm, I'm behind there and I'm trying not to laugh. And I'm like, so do you think the fog cares? Send that flight through. We got a woman with a lot of frequent... And then, you know, there's a little bit of, you know, do you know who I am? So I'm sitting there and I'm chuckling. And I'm like, oh, come on, you know, give, give me a break, lady. But hey, you know, we, we all encounter that type. No, no, no. She ends up on my flight sitting next to me. This is clearly the travel gods punishing me. The course uh, flight attendant begins the process. It's one of the smaller flights, you know, two seats on each side. And she begins the safety protocol. Now, we've all sat through it. We all know how to operate the safety belt. I get it. But the woman's on her phone. And she's, you know, getting kind of, you know, she's still continuing on her phone. She's very upset about the possibility she might not make her next flight. Um, and she's talking to someone. And she's talking. And she's talking. And the stewardess kind of rolls her eyes. And, you know, she asks her to hang up the phone. And Karen, I don't know if it's real her name is Karen. Karen says, I, I'm just one more minute. and she just, And she continues to talk and this poor flight attendant says if she doesn't you know put the phone down I'm going to have to do this twice. But in the meantime I've got Karen in one ear saying no one at the gate could help me. No one from the airline seems to understand. Oh, I you know I just don't know what I'm going to do. And she just keeps talking throughout the entire presentation about where the exits are and what to do in case of a water landing and our seat back. By the way, there's a water landing unless you got silly we're all dying. So let's just be aware of that. We don't probably don't need to know this stuff too well, but fine, whatever. And this woman, she just keeps talking throughout the entire thing. Finally, um, there, there's a guy behind me. Now, the guy behind me is traveling with a small child and his wife and a dog. Greg, that's a lot. Yes, <laughs> it is. Two seats. And I'm sure this guy has already had a challenging morning. I try, you know, there are times in my past I have lost my temper with people in public. It's never an ugly scene. But the guy behind me just starts saying, you're being rude. Put the phone down. And then Karen turns around and says, you're rude. While staying on the phone with the guy, so uh, at some point I was kind of wondering I was going to get I was going to be witnessing an altercation. She's like, "All of you are very rude," you know. I my flight is kids They didn't. I didn't know I couldn't stay on the phone. Of course, the stewardess had said three times you're not supposed to be on your phone. So anyway, Greg. Thankfully, we landed safely. Nothing really happened, but just one of those. This this is a public service announcement, folks. The flight attendants, the woman behind the gate, oh, the, the gate agents. There's only so much they can do. Be patient. They're going to try to get to their best they can. You know, it's air travel. It's a small miracle that it happens successfully and safely every day. Just you'll get there eventually. Don't panic. Don't take it out on people who have no control over it.
0: So many thoughts here, Jim. And eventually we'll get to our martinis here. But uh, <laughs> the, uh, the idea this is just this, too good not to share with the listeners. The idea of this woman having so many frequent flyer miles and then being utterly ignorant about the fact about when you can and can't use your phone is um, mm. ringing a little bit hollow to me. Uh, yeah. to, to say the least. But uh, hey, at least uh, it didn't get to the point where she had to be tackled and the plane got diverted or something. So
1: uh, that, yeah, I that, that was wondering if that was the next step. And it was one of those things like the guy behind me I have a feeling, you know, traveling with a small child, traveling. He probably had a very stressful morning. So he just wanted somebody to yell at. And this, you know, Karen kind of gave him the perfect target. I'm not saying I've done that, Greg. I'm just saying the temptation has been there. I really did want to say to um, to the, the woman, if she really was giving to ma'am, would you like to speak to the weather's manager? That
0: would probably do her more good if she did that more often, quite frankly. There you go. But uh, anyway, uh, by the way, we're brought to you today by FIGS. So if any people needed to take her out of the plane in a straitjacket, uh, FIGS would be the, the perfect way <laughs> to do that. Uh, Figs uh, makes fantastic scrubs and other gear for doctors, but they also make gear that that you would like to. We'll talk about that a little bit later in the podcast. WearFigs.com. Enter the code Martini for 15% off at checkout. Jim, all right, let's do our real good, bad, and crazy martinis. Great to have you back. Thanks to uh, Rob and Chad for filling in while you were out. Our good martini today is uh, the delicious realization among National Democrats That basically a week, and maybe this started even a few days before yesterday, so let's give him two weeks before the Iowa caucuses of noticing that, you know, hey, if that Bernie Sanders got to be the nominee, that could end up being a bad thing for us. He might not win and he might be a real drag on the ticket because, you know, he's kind of a communist. And so uh, didn't really go there in uh, any of his Senate campaigns, didn't go there in 2015-16. Hillary just kind of ignored him, figured she'd figure out a way to win. And thanks to the DNC, she did. Uh, And then uh, for the most part, nobody really went after Bernie except for a couple of questions about how you're going to pay for free everything. But... uh, No real bare-knuckle brawls with Bernie until now he's surging in New Hampshire for sure. Looks like he's gaining in Iowa. He's ahead in a couple of polls there, including Emerson by beyond the margin of error. He's ahead in some national polls now. And so all of a sudden, the Democrats are like, oh, man, we might not want to dominate this crazy guy. So, Jim, that's your lead item in the morning jolt today. The question is, is it too late?
1: Yeah, probably not, but it is quite hilarious. I know a lot of National Review listeners are not big fans of... Uh, my former colleague, David Frum, you know, writes for The Atlantic. Uh, but by the standards of The Atlantic, you know, David Frum is one of their more rightward voices since they got rid of Kevin Williamson. <laughs> but anyway, so Frum, every once in a while, has to play the grown-up explaining to the audience uh, or the readership of The Atlantic how the real world works. And he has this column basically saying, Bernie Sanders is a very fragile candidate and he's not talking about his art or his age or his physical health, although you figure that's a legitimate concern too um his point is that bernie sanders and his long career in vermont first again it's vermont it's generally a pretty democratic state or if you do see republicans get elected they're pretty liberal republicans and really hasn't had a lot of rough hard fought you know knockdown, drag out let's bring out all the dirt we've got on bernie type fights uh and it's been quite a few decades since it really got into that and there's a lot of stuff in bernie sanders past that maybe folks in Vermont kind of shrugged at or said, ah, that's just Bernie being Bernie, that won't play well in Iowa or Ohio or Pennsylvania or, or Wisconsin or a bunch of these other places. And oh, by the way, there's a poll out in Delaware, a state that people don't bother to pay too much attention to, only has three electoral votes. Uh, it polled the head-to-head matchups. So unsurprisingly, uh, Joe Biden is beating Trump by like 16 points. But Trump is only one point behind Bernie in the state of Delaware. Does this mean Trump would win? Delaware, probably, you know, look, well, probably not. We don't have a lot of other polls to compare it to. But then again, you know, besides the other flaws of Bernie Sanders, Delaware is a big banking state. When he goes on about the millionaires, the billionaires, the big banks, Delaware is where those big banks are, particularly the credit card companies. So the idea, it's not crazy to think that maybe a state like Delaware or maybe Connecticut wouldn't be such slam dunks for the Democrats if Bernie Sanders is the nominee. So there's a bunch of reasons for the Democrats to suddenly look at this and say, wait a second! We've never really tested. How does a guy like Bernie Sanders play in Florida in a general election? How does a guy like Bernie Sanders play in Wisconsin in a general election? You know, maybe maybe he's not such a strong candidate head to head against Trump in those places. And the other thing that jumps out about this is that, as you mentioned, Greg, you know, he's currently leading much of the polls in Iowa. You'd have to say he's got a really good shot at winning the Iowa caucuses. He came within a coin flips of votes last time around. Last time around, he won the New Hampshire primary by a pretty solid margin. He lost Nirvana by only about, you know, four or five points. It was not a big, you know, Hillary Clinton win. Hillary Clinton did not kind of regain her footing until the South Carolina primary. Bernie Sanders has been pretty much consistently in second place for the entire past, for all of 2019, the Democratic Party primary. Dear Democratic establishment, how did this guy sneak up on you two cycles in a row? (laughs) First time, okay, we kind of see this. Who saw this coming? Second time, he's been here the whole time. Now, the other thing I kind of wonder is if whether because he's nearly a 79-year-old man who has had a heart attack, nobody wanted to go after him that badly. And everybody was hoping that his votes would drift over to him when Sanders inevitably collapsed. There's just one little flaw in that plan, Greg. He hasn't collapsed yet. (laughs) I think the entire strategy for a bunch of these folks was, well, at some point, Biden's going to collapse and I can get those voters. And at some point, Sanders is going to collapse and I can get those voters. And surprise, neither one of these guys has collapsed yet.
0: So basically, no one's learned anything from 2016, because that was the exact logic that all those Republicans used when Donald Trump was the leader before any votes were actually cast. Oh, he'll crater at some point, and then I'll be there to pick up the pieces. So I'm not going to be too rough on him. And then he never cratered. And so everybody just got left waiting and uh, they never stopped waiting.
1: Don't run for lanes, folks. Run for the nomination.
0: Exactly right. And man, uh, turns out people kind of know pretty early on in these primaries, at least recent primary cycles, who they actually want, because whether it's Biden's fumbles or Bernie's communism, uh, people are just... Pretty much uh, locked into to where they are, and uh, little ebbs and flows here and there. But uh, we'll start we'll start finding out for sure come Monday what the Iowa caucuses. So, uh, Greg, speaking of people who need medical attention, exactly. One of the reasons Bernie recovered so well from his heart attack is because his uh, doctors and other medical personnel uh, were probably wearing figs. Okay, we probably shouldn't promise that much. But uh, one of the things you want for all those people to take care of you, whether doctors, nurses, dentists, hygienists. Medical techs, whatever, EMTs, uh, you want them at their best, and you're going to feel your best and perform at your best when you're comfortable. And that's where FIGS comes in, and whether they're talking about their scrubs or whatever gear uh, that they need to do their job effectively, FIGS has what they need. What these amazing people do every day is more than a job. What they wear is more than a uniform, so they should wear the best, whether it's scrubs that help them feel good and perform at their best. FIGS
1: is an amazing company that is making scrubs stylish and functional for the people who deserve it most. For years, nurses, doctors, dentists, and other awesome medical professionals were forced to wear scratchy and ill-fitting scrubs. Not only were they ugly and uncomfortable, they just weren't designed with innovative technical properties to protect and hold the life-saving tools that they need. By the way, FIGS gives back, and you can too, because every time you shop at FIGS, They give scrubs to healthcare providers in need around the world through their Threads for Threads initiative. To date, FIGS has donated hundreds of thousands of sets in more than 35
0: countries. I've mentioned before that I've had the chance to try out some of the FIGS gear, including an activewear jacket, as well as some really comfortable socks. Went for a long walk the first time I really tried out those socks. Very, very comfortable. And the activewear jacket, as I said, is very good. It's very light, but it keeps you warm anywhere from the mid-40s to uh, low 60 degrees out. Lots of different pockets so the doctors can hold all their instruments. For me, not a doctor. You can keep a lot of different things in there from sunglasses to gloves or whatever else you need when you're out and about. So whether you're one of the amazing people that works in healthcare or someone that just wants to say thanks to these deserving folks, Figs is going to make that easy by providing you with 15% off your first purchase by using our code MARTINI. So get ready to love your scrubs. Or your doctor should get ready to love the scrubs when you give them the gift. Head to wearfigs, W-E-A-R-F-I-G-S dot com and enter our code martini at checkout. All right, Jim, let's move to our bad martini now. And uh, Chad and I talked about uh, we made it a crazy martini on Monday with uh, the John Bolton news, the timing, the Amazon page going up at the same time this leak went out to the New York Times, Bolton insisting that uh, he's not responsible for the leak, which may well be true. We don't know for sure. Uh, But then also, of course, there's the the people who instinctively decide that, well, John Bolton must be destroyed. He was never really a conservative in the first place. And there's more people talking about that uh, in the last 24 hours and so it's our bad martini today we don't even know what john bolton actually wrote yet uh, we don't have the specific excerpt but uh we'll see soon enough and whether he testifies we'll see soon enough but uh the folks uh, deciding that john bolton was never conservative in the first place uh are really going off way too far on a limb here uh three different examples which might be overkill but let's start with a guy who's never liked john bolton uh tucker carlson fox news think back to 2016 and the campaign then Donald Trump used
1: to recite a poem about a woman who took a dying snake into her house and nursed it back to health. The snake did become healthy and then immediately whipped around and bit the woman. As she breathed her last breaths, the woman asked the snake, why did you do this? Well, because I'm a snake, was the reply. That's what we do. All of which somehow reminds us of disgraced former National Security Advisor John Bolton. Republicans in Washington tonight seem shocked to discover that Bolton has turned and betrayed his former boss, Donald Trump. But they shouldn't be shocked. That's who John Bolton is. That's who John Bolton has always
0: been. That's what John Bolton does. Andy Biggs, Arizona Republican congressman. What you have is this um, uh, disgruntled former employee who was asked to leave President Trump. That compounded a stormy relationship because President Trump wants to end our participation in interminable wars all over the world, and John Bolton wants to fight and expand these things going forward. Whether you agree or disagree with either one, the point is they had a fundamental disagreement, and they fought like cats and dogs about it. And then there's Louisiana Senator John Kennedy, who lumps Bolton in with Lev Parnas. The allegations
1: would have more credibility if they were coming from someone else. Mr. Parnas's uh, bias... And, frankly, Mr. Bolton's bias are are pretty obvi- uh, obvious.
0: So, Jim, there's a lot that could possibly be going on here. Uh, you know, do you want to goose your book sales? Uh, is there some score settling? Maybe. But John Bolton's been around a long time. He's been very consistent for a long time. You might not like his politics or how he advocates on the on the national or international stage, you can be very upset with how he's handling this entire episode. But the idea that he's somehow a uh, deep state status quo uh, was only a guy who was there to create trouble for Donald Trump uh, is beyond the pale.
1: Well, the first thing that jumps out about all of these anecdotes and arguments, Greg, is that if John Bolton is such an obvious, you know, neocon warmonger and, and, you know, so clearly had so many disagreements with the president on So many issues include, why did the president hire him? And nobody has a really good answer for that. Uh, You left out my favorite example there, though, Greg, which was Lou Dobbs last night, who had a (laughs) little graphic denouncing John Bolton as a tool for the left. The idea that John Bolton is some sort of leftist, some sort of liberal, progressive person on the Democratic side of the aisle is pretty darn laughable. Who knows the first thing about John Bolton? Uh, the second thing that kind of jumps out of it is, you know, who was on Lou Dobbs's program for a lot of years, whenever he needed to discuss national security, foreign policy, and oh, by the way, denouncing the likes of Jim Comey. Greg,
0: I'm going to go with John Bolton.
1: That's correct. Like two and a half <laughs> years ago, this was the go-to guy on Lou Dobbs's program and all over Fox News. But now all of a sudden, oh boy, that guy's a nut job. Boy, what a what a fool. Who could ever, you know? There are three lessons that you know, come out of this, and this is kind of a separate issue. Like first of all. I think if you have something very relevant to say about an ongoing impeachment process against the president of the United States, you should not keep it for your book. Uh, I think John Bolton, who I generally think well of, is making a potential error here. Uh, the editors of the Wall Street Journal editorial page, also longtime allies and friendly to Bolton running his pieces for a long time are like, you know, you really got to step forward. You can't keep this for, you know, we can't all be reading in March stuff that could have or should have been in the... uh discussed during the impeachment here. Um, Secondly, you know, again, if you're going to hire a national security advisor, you probably should try to find one who generally agrees with your outlook on life. And if you don't, you should not be surprised that you end up having a contemptuous and and, uh, very very friction relationship. Um, If you do find yourself in that situation, you're probably going to want to try to end that relationship you know, about as good terms as you possibly can. Obviously you can say, look, John, this didn't work out. Clearly you and I have different ideas of how it's supposed to operate. I'm going to bring somebody in who's more with my liking, but best to you. And then the president, at least in his tweets, was generous to it. But clearly Bolton and Trump were, if not oil and water from day one, um, had just fundamentally different ways of looking at the world. And so you kind of, you know, both sides, you have to look at these guys and say like, you know, one, what was Trump thinking when he decided to bring on Bolton? And two, How shocked, I mean, John Bolton was watching the same campaign the rest of us were. Why would he think Trump would be in agreement with his worldview? Shouldn't he have been, you know, uh, prepared for this kind of friction with all that stuff? But all all of this is kind of moot from the fact, like, look, John Bolton could very well get called up as a witness if the Senate chooses to vote to have witnesses. And he's probably going to paint an unflattering portrait of Trump. He's probably going to say that, yeah, this was a quid pro quo, This was clearly, you know, the the withholding of the funds was clearly connected to the request for information on Biden. I thought it was bad. I thought it was wrong. I tried to talk the president out of it. I couldn't do it. It'll it'll be bad. It'll be a bad day for the Trump administration when John Bolton does that. I don't think you see a lot of Republican senators flip on this. I don't think you see many Trump voters flip on this. I think what we're seeing now is it all kind of depends on how you, you solve for the equation. The answer to the equation is always Trump is right. So if John Bolton is saying Trump's policies are working, then John Bolton is a genius. If John Bolton is saying the president did something he wasn't supposed to do, well, then John Bolton has to be a tool for the left and a fool and a disgruntled employee and yada, yada. And it just is, it's fascinating to watch people change like that. And that's, uh, you know, that's where we are. Uh, You know, this idea where it really, it's vaguely Orwellian to see John Bolton instantaneously 180 degree denounced as a person of the left. And finally, like, does the president ever get tired of this? I mean, you can look at Omarosa, you can look at Michael Cohen, you can look at Scarabucci. You know, like one guy after another keeps, you know, works with the president and then walks away and says, this president is the worst guy in the whole wide world. I'm sure he's fuming about the disloyalty. But at the same time, Mr. President, you hired all these people. At some point, doesn't some responsibility end up on your shoulders?
0: It's just fascinating to watch uh, the reaction. You have some folks out there like Ted Cruz and Doug Collins, who is the top Republican on the House Judiciary Committee, saying uh, well this this doesn't really change the, the key facts in the case and obviously you can debate that as well but uh, they're at least not uh, going down the well, John Bolton has always just been a tool of the deep state. I mean, this is a guy who once joked about leveling off a few floors of the United Nations because he didn't think the United Nations was worth yeah, very much. So it's, it's, it's
1: not deep state rhetoric, right? You know, <laughs> no, not too much. You could argue, if the, if the rumors and stories are true, and I don't think they are, that you know, John Bolton used to run around run around chasing the deep state down the hallway with a stapler. Um, <laughs> That story is true. And it probably is. But again, like again, the idea that the guy who was the go to talking head for foreign policy and national security stuff has always been some sort of deep rooted anti Trump guy, just who then agreed to work in his administration
0: does not hold a lot of water. Even if he does testify, I think we still know what the outcome is going to be. And by a, a pretty comfortable margin. If the president needed any more help, let's go to another cable news clip uh, moving from Fox over to CNN here. This actually happened on Saturday night, but because nobody watches CNN, we didn't really learn about this until either late yesterday or early today. Uh, This is Rick Wilson, former Republican campaign consultant. Now he's a full-time Trump basher. He's now affiliated with the Lincoln Project, which is not only designed to take Trump down, but uh, any Republican senators who don't go full anti-Trump. Right now, he's focusing a lot on Susan Collins. I think Joni Ernst is next. But uh, anyway, he was on with Don Lemon over the weekend, along with uh, a CNN contributor named, I believe, Wajahat Ali. And they were talking about Ukraine. And uh, as is his wont, Rick Wilson uh, insulted the intelligence of Trump, which probably would not have created a huge ripple since he does it all the time. But then he decided to uh, transfer that to Trump supporters. And here's how that sounded. Uh, The giggling uh, uncontrollably in the background is Don Lemon himself. Uh, Rick Wilson to begin. And look, he also knows deep in his heart that Donald Trump couldn't find Ukraine on a map if you had the letter U and a picture of an actual physical crane next to it. He knows that this is, you know, an, an administration defined by ignorance of the world. And so that's partly him playing to their base and playing to their audience, uh, you know, the, the, the credulous boomer rube demo that backs Donald Trump um, that, that wants to think that that, that Donald Trump's a smart one, and oh, y'all, y'all elitists are dumb. You, you us with your geography
1: and your maps and your spelling. Even though <laughs> my math you pro- your reading.
0: Yeah, you're reading. You know, your geography, knowing other countries, sipping your latte, all those lines on the map. Uh, only them elitists know where Ukraine is. Sorry, I apologize. Is but by, you, but, by that, God. Oh my <laughs> but
1: but you know what? But,
0: but it was Rick's fault. I blame Rick. Oh but, you know, but, but in all honesty, but but at all you you know NPR but blame Why do? not? Sorry, hold on. You, wait, wait. Can Yo, I tell you what? a second? You, hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> that was good. Sorry, Rick. You, that you, was a good one. I needed that. I needed that. Don Lemon says. So, uh, Jim, uh, the best uh, reaction to that I saw today was from a Republican consultant saying find the most, uh, disturbing 60 seconds of that. And, uh, the most effective Trump spot of 2020 might be right there.
1: Yeah. Um, I am I'm just glad I understand Don Lemon needed that. You know, the the thing is Greg, it's really hard to find jokes about Trump, uh, and people making fun of Trump voters. It's, It's, it's just a shame that Stephen Colbert and Jimmy Kimmel and, uh, Samantha B. and the Daily Show, none of them make fun of Trump or Trump voters. And that's why it's when somebody like Don Lemon, who, has, who disagrees with the president, needs a laugh. It's just so rare that you find somebody who's willing to make the really edgy, cutting edge argument Trump voters are dumb. Boy, oh boy. Woo, that's going out there. That, that's dangerous. I think that out of the, the three, it's a little troubling to see what happened to Rick Wilson. Because, you know, way back in the day, the Tea Party days, he was a Republican consultant. He was a guy you'd think was conservative. And I noticed that very rarely does Rick Wilson get called out because he'll make two arguments at the same time. And very rarely do people notice there's a little bit of a contradiction. The first will be Trump has divided us and he has coarsened our culture. And then very often in the exact same column or chapter or television appearance, Rick Wilson will add something in the vein of, and his supporters are hopeless, mouth-breathing, ignorant meth heads. It's not Trump who's dividing us, right? You're you're demonstrating all the exact same contempt, all the exact same sneering, obnoxiousness, uh, name-calling. You're doing all the exact same thing just in the other direction. But the second thing is that, you know, one way to look at this is that Rick Wilson is a political consultant. What is a consultant's job? Well, it's to advance the interests of his client. what you know, it's kind of like being a lawyer. Who is his client now? Well, he's got some very nice book deals. He's got his talking head gigs. All that stuff. His clients, either you know, uh, literally or metaphorically, are the elite ranks of the resistance. There is a a group of people who are you know extremely online who love to hear Trump is the worst. Nothing Trump does is good. Uh, and there's no there's no upside to anything Trump does. Trump, a broken clock can be right twice a day, but Trump can never be right. But the other thing is that they really enjoy the reassurance that they are superior to the voters who disagree with them in every way, shape, and form. The thing that kind of jumped out at me, Greg, is not just like, you know, he, he couldn't find out where Trump, if you gave him you and Ukraine, <laughs> it's not that funny, but Greg, they were laughing like it was one of the great Robin Williams specials or something. <laughs> okay. I, I, you'd look, you know, And Don Lemon, most of all, you think he was going to lose bladder control. I mean, there was kind of this, oh, we're finally getting a chance to laugh at people we think we're better than. Ah, oh, we shouldn't let this show, but this is really what we think. So, I you know, I do think that it did. This is going to get really discussed discussed in in a lot of you know Trump circles. Uh, I think you're going to see it's, the, the video has been going all over social media today. And the other thing that's kind of jumping out is that both. Rick Wilson and the other guy who was on the panel, whose name escapes me, both had this argument of, oh, I know everyone's fake offended. How do you know they're fake offended? How do you know they're not really? Like, you just said that these people couldn't understand li- literacy or geography or didn't know anything about the world. Why wouldn't people be offended? Why are you so certain that this is all fake? But hey, it's their life. If they can't see that this is part of what fueled Trump's rise, uh, then, then they're fooling themselves and they're putting themselves on a course to have a very similar result. In 2020,
0: more people are going to see that clip than these Lincoln Project ads that they're running to uh, oh, yeah. tr- try Just and run out. Thing there. So the, the Lincoln
1: Project ad, apparently, they spent a you know high four figure sum in production, and they're spending a high four figure sum in airing it. Now, a four-figure sum in, in running television ads has absolutely no reach whatsoever. It means it's running at 3 a.m. on some cable station somewhere. But you know what? That ad's going to get picked up by the mainstream media and get enough free media of people discussing that ad to make the whole thing worthwhile. Hey, welcome back, Jim. Uh, we got. Hey, yeah, I know. Uh, can I go back again? Only if you get to sit next to Karen. I understand Rob Long has been joking that I never do any work. Uh... <laughs> All right, get, get, get back get, get back to work on those sitcoms, Rob. <laughs>
0: Jim, it is wonderful to have you back. We'll do it again tomorrow. See you then. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus, Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Don't forget to visit our friends over at FIGS and order good gear for yourself or your favorite medical professional, wearfigs.com, and enter our code martini at checkout. Please subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a great review. And tune in Wednesday for the next Three Martini Lunch.